blink. Welcome to the Extraordinary Being Movement, where we inspire you to take action, influence you for change, and motivate you for success. I'm your host and coach, Len DeCarmine, and I can't tell you what special guests we have this evening, because we're going to be tackling something a lot of us face, and that's the imposter syndrome. But before I do that, let me introduce my two favorite co-hosts, the one and only Fred Martinez. Fred, how are you tonight? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Fantastic. <laughs> and Christopher Shiver. Christopher, how are you? I'm good, but Fred, I'm calling Fred out. Fred, you're not feeling good. Be honest. What are you feeling right now? I feel tired. I feel like I'm, a, you, know, I, you know what? Exactly what we're going to be talking about. You know, I feel like an imposter right now. All right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's all right, Fred. I want to let everybody know that we're shooting our show late in the evening because our guest, our special guest is over in the UK. She's joining us, us is early in the morning for her. So we are grateful to have the one and only Dr. Emmy Estacio. Is that how you say your last name? Estacio, Estacio. that's right. How are you? Welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for staying up so late. And it's wonderful to to have this conversation with you for us very early in the morning. It's seven in the morning. The the sun is not up because we are in the UK, hiding <laughs> <laughs> behind the clouds all the time. Like it's always gloomy here. Oh, jeez! So, but it's it's wonderful to to start the day having this conversation with you guys. No, and, and like I said, we appreciate you. We want to welcome you to our movement, and our movement is about inspiring people and taking a stand for them so they can change their lives and experience growth. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about you that nobody else knows about? Oh, that nobody knows about? Well, yes. Uh, some people will know this because they've seen it happen to me, but uh, I actually started university when I was 15 years old. Wow. I was accepted to go into med school um, at that age, but my mom told me I was too young. Maybe I was academically ready. Mm -hmm. um, to go to med school, but emotionally, psychologically, socially, I was still immature. I was a child at 15 mm -hmm. years old. So she said I wasn't ready to go into med school at that time. So I ended up studying psychology, which is my um, specialization uh, right now. Um, and that's, that's how I ended up becoming a psychologist, you know, taking psychology as a pre-med course and eventually ended up doing a PhD instead of an MD and pursued that in my, you know, for my career. At the wow, city of London, especially. That's correct. Yes, yes. I, I absolutely um, loved, uh, you know, when I came here to the UK in 2002, my intention was to come here for only a year, do my <laughs> master's, and then go back to the Philippines and practice uh, health psychology. I did my master's in health psychology. But my supervisor told me, ah, you know, you have to stay here. You have to come and join us, uh, you know, do your PhD and, you know, work with us. And I said, well, you know, I can't afford to live in London. It's too expensive. <laughs> I started calculating, okay, how much is your rent? How much is your food? Blah, 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 blah. And after we calculated that, he said, hmm, I can pay you that. So he was actually paying out of his own pocket and hired me as his assistant. Wow. Um, which was the start of my uh, my academic career, you know, out of that goodwill from someone who trusted me. And then a year later, I got a, a scholarship to to do my PhD. And, and that's it. You know, I got a job, met my husband, have a baby, you know, that kind of stuff. So, <laughs> you know, the one-year plan ended up becoming an 18-year. Um, I'm still here. I'm actually going away next month moving to Athens because I'm just really sick and tired of this gloomy weather I need the sun <laughs> moving to Athens um yeah moving to Athens next month but yeah the one-year plan in the UK ended up to be 18 years in the end Excellent. wow that's that's, that's amazing and after that you served on the uh, psychological board 
Oh yes, yes. Well, that's uh, that's how I when I told you that my supervisor gave me a job as his assistant. He's the editor of the Journal of Health Psychology, and I served as the editorial assistant. When I finished my PhD, I ended up being on the editorial board of health, uh, the Journal of Health Psychology, Health Psychology Open, and then other journals like Community Work and, and Family Psychology. So it's it's wonderful to have this connection, these allies to, to support me at the, and, and to, to actually believe in me. Even at the time when I just couldn't believe that, you know, why would people trust me to do this stuff? You know, I'm, I'm young, I'm just starting out. But I suppose when you have those people who are, um, who, who can see some potential in you and, and help you to nurture that potential by giving you opportunities to show what you can do, it's, it's really quite something. And for us to, to have walked that path and seeing young people having all this self-doubt and, and issues around not really sure what they can offer to the world, when you show them that, hey, you know, you have what it takes to do this, you know, it, it can really boost their confidence and you, you never know, you know, for me, 18 years on, I'm still talking about that experience. You never know whose life you can change by, you know, by showing that bit of, um, uh, trust and, and confidence in people. No, that's that's fantastic. Now, I, I know I want to just dive right into this because I know I suffer a lot from this, from the imposter syndrome, where I feel like I'm just not good enough for a lot of things that I do. And it just frustrates me because I have the knowledge, but I feel like I'm lacking something at times. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Of course. Well, yeah, it's imposter syndrome is something that a lot of us experience. 70% of us will experience imposter syndrome at some point in our working lives. And it's it's not just self-doubt. You know, everybody experiences self-doubt from time to time. But imposter syndrome is this persistent feeling of self-doubt, incompetence, and inadequacy, despite evidence, as you've said, that that you know your stuff, you have yeah. the qualifications, you know the ex- you, you have the experience, but you still feel as if you are a fraud, as if you are fooling everyone into believing that you know what you're talking about. And the common characteristic of imposter syndrome is this denial of competence, that you are not able to see that you are competent, that you're knowledgeable, that you're qualified to do what you're that what, what you're supposed to do. So for example, with a lot of uh, medical doctors, even after 10 years of training, they still feel as if they're winging it, that they're just fooling everyone into believing. You know, they put on a brave face because they have to. It's their job to, to do what they have to do. But deep down, they feel as if, oh, no, people are going to find out eventually that I'm just, you know, that I'm just a fraud, that I'm just winging it, that I'm just fooling them. So it's this denial of competence that even if you have the, the knowledge, even if you have the experience, you cannot see that, that you actually have it. The second characteristic is this um, maladaptive perfectionist tendency. Mm. Um, this happens quite a lot for those who experience imposter syndrome, that even if you do something right, you can't really see that it's that you, you can't really see that that you did something well. You only focus on the flaws and the imperfections, even if you've done 99%. <laughs> You know, it's it's great, but you just focus on that one percent that people wouldn't even notice. So I can see Chris like, yeah, like relate. <laughs> Is that you? <laughs> oh, yeah. With with anything that I do, anything at all, cooking majority most of the time it's cooking that I do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's this maladaptive perfectionist mm-hmm. tendency, and it's not really helping you or others because when you have these maladaptive perfectionist tendencies sometimes you also expect others to be maladaptively perfect (laughs) so when it comes to teamwork you you can't really find the job satisfaction that you know you're doing well you're you're just focusing on the little flaws that that people might not notice for example for me we're having this conversation. I'm delivering what I have to deliver. You know, I've studied psychology for all this time, over 20 years of studying psychology. And 
I can deliver my expertise, you know, serve your audience, but I focus on the times when I say um or er or like when 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 I when I'm lost for words rather than focusing on the fact that I am delivering value. So maladaptive perfectionist tendencies for those who experience imposter syndrome, uh, they they feel as if they are a fraud because they are focusing on the imperfections rather than on the things that they do well. Mm. I love that. I see that. It's so simple. It really is so simple. I see that a lot with the engineers because they want everything to be so precise. They want to be something to be accurate. And the one thing I've learned in life is done is better than perfect. However, you got management that wants things to be perfect. Yeah, absolutely. So that's why leadership, you know, it's important that leaders are able to identify um, and, and balance. In the, it, it's, it's not as if we're we just being complacent. It's like, it's okay, 99% is okay. There's a difference between adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism. Adaptive perfectionism is, for example, Beyonce, <laughs> who, would, who, who, who would say that, yeah, she's a, a perfectionist, but a perfectionist in such a way that she will perform, um, review her performance, see if there are things that, that you can improve. You're not, you're not brushing away the fact that there are some things that, that you can improve, but you don't beat yourself up for not being perfect. You see it as an opportunity to refine your craft, to improve, to develop, and it's more of a learning experience rather than, oh goodness, you know, I failed, you know, this is so awful, I'm a fraud. You're human. And as you are learning and growing in your journey, there are always opportunities to improve your performance. So adaptive perfectionism is that you, you strive for perfection without beating yourself up, recognizing that there's always room for growth, there's always room for development, and, and you, you find ways to, to improve your performance, to improve yourself, and you, know, you, you, you grow and develop as a result of that. No, that's that's fantastic. I love it. Now, you have the book called the the Imposter Syndrome Remedy. Yes. You have the, the, the is it Pame code? Yes, yes, that's correct. Pa Pame is a Greek word. It yeah. means let's go together. So right? if, you, if you go to Greece and and you hear people say Pame, 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 it means let's go together. And it's a reminder that in in this life, in in our journey, we can go together. We can celebrate our wins. We can share our struggles. You don't have to suffer in silence. And it's actually more fun when you join, um, you know, when you join others and you have masterminds and when you have a community and you, you get to share ideas and, and get to share the journey together. So that's essentially the essence of the PAMI code. I, I use that in, in my uh, psychology practice, but also in my self-publishing um, practice because I also help uh, entrepreneurs, coaches, and visionaries write and publish their books on Amazon. So many of them experience imposter syndrome, feeling as if they don't know enough or they're not expert <laughs> enough to write a book. And I use my psychology expertise to, to, you know, to enable them to understand that they have what it takes to write a book. And then I go through the self-publication um, process with them as well. But PAME is Let's Go Together. And I use that acronym as well to as, 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 as a framework for, for how I live my life. And it's PAME, P-A-M-E. It, it stands for Purpose, Action, Momentum, and Energy. Purpose means really understanding um, what you are doing, why you are doing, what's the purpose of your life and, and pursuing your, you know, your authentic purpose in life. But at the same time, you need to couple that with action. That's, that's, that's the second part of PAME. Action. Without action, all these ideas, all these thoughts mean nothing really. Because if you cannot mm -hmm. translate it into action and, and translate it into the real world, it will just exist in your imagination. M stands for momentum. You have to keep up the momentum, maintain the consistency, maintain the momentum. And then eventually you, you reach E, which is energy. You need mm -hmm. to keep the energy up, avoid burnout, um, stay positive, you know, make these connections and, and understand that, yeah, it's all about energy as well. So that, that's what PAM essentially, and I use it in, in all aspects of my business and also how I live my life. 
I like it. No, I, I love it. It's it's simple. It's easy to do. Fred, were you going to say something? No, you 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 beat me to the punch right there. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that happens. I'm sorry, buddy. No, no, and I, I just love it. Now I, I know throughout your book you also have a few other strategies in there. Could you would you mind sharing some of those as well? Of course. Well, when it comes to imposter syndrome, because this is what what we are talking about um today. For people who experience imposter syndrome, there are two ways, well, two general ways that people cope with imposter syndrome. One way is that they just run away from it. <laughs> you know, they shy away from responsibility. So, so there are people who would decline promotion or they would mm. say no to opportunities. So, for example, they would be given the opportunity to speak. Uh, you know, in in a in a podcast like this, or to be on stage, or to write a book, or whatever. Because of the imposter syndrome, they would say, oh, you know, I'm not good enough to do that. I don't feel that I'm expert enough to, to stand on the stage or to write a book or to, um, to speak in a podcast. So they would say, um, I, I would respectfully decline, but I, I feel that I, ha- I still have to develop myself, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, they, they are coping in that way, but at the same time, they are missing opportunities to actually grow and develop. Another way that some people would uh, cope with imposter syndrome is because they cannot run away from it because it's their job. <laughs> you know, some of them would, uh, would, would, would procrastinate. So they would say something like, okay, that's, that's, a, that's a problem for my future self. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, um, you know, try to cope and, and, and relax and, and find a way to, to be okay with it. And then eventually, because the, the time is running out, they will, uh, they, will, they will run after the time. They will, they will stress themselves out. They will finish the task because it's their job. But the imposter syndrome wouldn't really help because they would feel as if I only managed to do that because I was under time pressure, because I was forced to do it. Chris, are you all right? I mean, can you relate to this? I, I, think, Chris, I think Chris can relate. Chris, what's going on over there? Uh, uh, I, so I went to a legacy military school uh, for six years. So it's, it's not a school for bad kids. You go there only because you pass the test, IQ and everything. And... Um, mm. I thought I was, they were expect because when I when I got in, they were like really excited to have me. They were they were like re- they were expecting a lot from me, and I kid you not, I would not study and get by with barely anything until like final exams would show up, and I'm mm. practically like failing my classes, and I would do exactly that. I'll just be like, well, the future me will handle it, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I got that. It was crazy, and I did this for six years, twice a year. I did this. Six years, twice a year, exams were twice a year, and I would ace all my exams and pull myself to a passing grade every single time at the very last minute. Oh, but you, did, did you feel as if you're just a fraud? Yes, yes. I feel yeah. like I cheated my way through the whole process, but really, like, how many people do you know can cram like that last minute and then pass everything? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the thing with the, with the imposter syndrome. It's that denial of competence that yeah. even if you achieve things, even if you... Um, you complete the task, you attributed it to external factors. You don't really recognize your contribution to, to completing that job. So yeah, there, there are people who, who experience imposter syndrome who will say, ah, you know, they will procrastinate. Um, that's a problem for my future self. And then when you know, they have to do it because it's time, they will, cram, they will rush and, and they will get it done. But they would say, ah, you know, it was just because I was under time pressure. Another thing is, okay, I think um, this is what I was guilty of um, because I experienced imposter syndrome myself. That's why I became so interested um, in this topic is um, for people like me who are maladaptive perfectionists, we need to do the job. You know, it's it's our job to to get it done. But because we are feeling self-doubt, we are feeling incompetent, what we would do is we would work extra hours. When I was starting at my career, there you go, we've got Fred nodding here. <laughs> I was working 60 hours a week 
<laughs> yeah, it's because of the self-doubt, you feel as if you have to work harder, work long hours. You're, and, and because mm-hmm. of the maladaptive perfectionist tendency, even if it's already good enough, you still keep tweaking. And for me, <laughs> when, when I was an academic, I would, I would spend like, yeah, 60 hours a week editing, re-editing, 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 you know, my, my research papers, my manuscripts, because I feel as if it can be better, it can be better. Of course, it can be better, but not to the point that I, I had no social life. I, you know, my mother was worried that I was going to be a hermit or something. I just, did, I, it, it, was, it wasn't good. And at some point, I did burn out. And this is something that a lot of people who experience imposter syndrome will also have maladaptive perfectionist tendencies. They will stretch themselves out. They will burn themselves out. They will get the job done, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't ease the imposter syndrome because they would say, ah, you know, it's not that I'm good. It's just because I really stretched myself. You know, if I didn't have the time to do that, then it's, it's going to fall apart. And for me, that's the crisis that I experienced when I, when I gave birth to my son. Because before I had my son, I had all of this time to, to waste, really. <laughs> you know, I can spend 60, 70 hours in the office, no problem. You know, nobody's going to notice. But when I, when I had my son, I don't have that time anymore. And even if I was delivering what I was supposed to deliver, I feel as if, uh, you know, it's, it's not enough. It's I have to give more. It was fine. You know, everything was fine. It, I was delivering what I was supposed to deliver. But, but because I had that self-doubt, I, I, I felt as if I need to put in more time because that's how, I, that's how I operated before I gave birth. So I had a nervous breakdown. I had a meltdown um, because I, I, had, I had another responsibility and I just didn't have the time. To stretch myself I burned myself out and that's not really good for you know your relationships you know for family and friends because you are putting yourself too much you're putting priority on things that are trivial really so Fred you you were nodding were you the overstretcher you know Chris was the procrastinator you're the overstretcher what, what was that like for you well what it is is that uh I kind of felt like being, I'm an electrical engineer. And when I graduated, I felt like uh, the, the jobs and job situations where this one company that I was working for, I remember when I graduated college, I tried applying for this company and the company wouldn't even touch me because they said my GPA was too low. I came like 10 years later, went to start working for that particular company. I came in as a contractor and a lot of this stuff was I had to do this software architecture and it was way above my head, but everybody kind of looked at me as like I was a subject, subject matter expert because I was the first one doing this. And I mm. spoke the, the words and how I eluded all this confidence. Mm. And, and I'm like, like, why are you guys looking at me? It's like the blind leading the blind. And then, mm. so what I did is I went out, I looked, I went to Craigslist. I looked for people who did this type of work to see if I can go ahead and, and I even called the professors. I called up everybody that I could possibly, <laughs> so that I could get some, some kind yeah. of assistance on this. And when it came right down to it is like, I knew more than them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, it's it's that denial of competence, right? Yeah. Oh my God, Fred, that is so you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Len asked me a question about the strategy, and I I just had to explain the what it looks like and and the consequences of that. And as you can see, it's 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 usually coming from your from your inner critic. It's it's the thoughts that yeah. you are feeding yourself that you're not good enough, that you're not expert enough. And in my book, I talk about this, these inner critic messages. And there might be some self-help gurus who would tell you to crush your inner critic, you know, to banish it, to fight mm-hmm. it. I actually would say, please don't do that because your inner critic, whether you like it or not, is still that voice inside your head. It's your head. And if you try to have a fight with it, if you try to, to actually crush it, 
you're crushing your own head even if it's even if it is um unhealthy that all the messages that are coming from from your head are unhealthy if you try to have a fight with it have a battle with it it's it's going to be a struggle because it's still your head so in my book i i tell my well and, and in my coaching practice as well and in my students in the in the self publishing made simple community i tell them when you have your inner critic and your inner critic is telling you all these unhelpful messages that you're not good enough that you're not expert enough instead of having a battle with it i want you to give it a bit of tlc and tlc is not necessarily tender loving care you know it's a you know it's a it's a it's an acronym that i used for my um it's a questioning sequence that you can use to explore your inner critic messages better. So instead of having a fight with it, instead of having a, a battle with it, you give it a bit of TLC, explore where these uh, messages are coming from, because when you understand where it's coming from, then you will see the perspective of your inner critic and have a dialogue with it, you know, question and, and, and ask these questions. Is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? So instead of fighting and crushing it or maybe just suppressing it, that's not really healthy because you're not really um, you're, you're not really addressing it. When you use the TLC questioning sequence and ask, is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? You're putting it out in the open. It, you're open to explore it. You're open to, to investigate it and see. Is it true that you're not good enough? Is it true that you don't have the knowledge or expertise? And more likely than not, you would say, actually, no, that's not true because um, I've either written a book or I've done my research on it. I've, I, I have a track record on this. Or even if you are a newbie and, and you are not, um, even if you don't have the track record yet, the idea is already there and, and you have what it takes to actually explore that idea. So the first question is, is it true? But the second question is, is it logical? For some people, it might be true. That's why I say you need to put it out in the open and, and not to try to um, fake it till you make it. I hear that all the time. I'm not really actually quite comfortable with that because there's no reason to fake it. You know, you're just fueling the imposter syndrome when you try to fake it till you make it. You don't have to fake it. You have to be honest. If it is true that you don't have a track record yet because everybody needs to start somewhere, if it is true that you don't have a track record yet, the next question is, is it logical? Just because you are starting out doesn't necessarily make you a fraud. It just means that you're starting out. <laughs> you know, it's it's the the start of your um of, of this particular path. And just because you are new, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a fraud or it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't you shouldn't pursue it. It just means that you are starting out and and it's only logical that if you do this, then you will gain experience. And if you do it more, then you will gain more experience. Mm -hmm. It's only by doing that you can you can maintain that momentum and, and build that experience and, and build the confidence as well because once you've proven that you can do it and understand that even if you're just starting out that you're showing that you have these skills and, and knowledge to get it done the second question is is it logical it is logical to do it gain experience and, and build the momentum from there so first question is it true mm -hmm. second question is it logical third question is is it constructive so there are so many people these days, you know, they try to compare themselves with others who have like 10 or 20 years experience ahead of them. Oh, they're getting better results than me. Oh, they are doing so much, you know, they, they have so much, um, so many more followers, for example, or whatever, without realizing that these are people who have a whole team backing them up. They have the capital, they have yeah, years and years of experience doing what they are doing. And you... When, when you ask the question, is it constructive? When you compare yourself, it's, it's what is it doing? What, what is it doing to you? How is that helping you? Or how is it helping the others that, that you are aiming to serve? So the third question is, is it constructive? If you have these inner critic messages in your mind, ask the question, how is it helping me? How is it helping others? If it doesn't help anyone, then why are you holding on to it? So that's, that's one of the strategies that I teach in my book, you know, the TLC questioning mm -hmm. sequence. 
first of all, you need to be aware of your inner critic. What are the messages that, that your inner critic is telling you? But instead of having a fight, instead of trying to crush it, use the TLCs, the TLC questioning sequence, explore the messages and ask, is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? That way you're putting the messages out into the open, um, address it, refine it, you know, mm-hmm. have a dialogue and see where those messages are coming from and what you need to do about it. Well, I, I absolutely love it. The sequence is just, it brought, you know, it just gave me chills because just something simple and easy to really just, you know, kind of coach yourself around and make yourself more constantly aware of the situation, what's going on. So, I mean, I love it. Is it true? Is it logical? And is it constructive? Fantastic. I mean, for me, I I always use this with my coaching clients. I I have a client once, she's a a New York uh, teacher Mm -hmm. and she has imposter syndrome. It was quite, well, that's why she came to me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she, she wanted to she wanted to resolve her imposter syndrome and her imposter syndrome is coming from this yeah she feels that she's not delivering enough that she's not good enough to be a teacher and she keeps comparing herself with her colleagues so my first question to her was is it true is it true that you're an incompetent loser who was you know who was hired to to teach in 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 school and and just not delivering the results that that you have to deliver and she said well i am qualified <laughs> you know she she is qualified to be a teacher so that's that's a starting point but she feels as if she's not um she's not performing well enough and i asked her again that question is it true because do you have evidence to support this? Do you get reviewed? Do you have like a, an annual, you know, in most organizations, you have all these performance reviews. And she said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, you know, we, we get this annual review and, you know, my supervisor will, will review my performance. And, yeah. and then we say, so let's, ha- let's have a look at the evidence. What's your performance like? Is it true that you are incompetent? And she said, well, you know, um, I actually always get rated excellent. Um, but not because I'm good. It's just because my my supervisor is being nice to me. You know, she's my friend. And and they said, you know, that's a classic imposter syndrome excuse. Like people who experience imposter syndrome because of this denial of competence, even if the external factors point that you are good, that you are excellent, they would say, oh, you know, they're just being nice. You know, they're they're uncomfortable receiving compliments. And and my next question to her was the L bit, like, is it logical? Is it logical for your supervisor to tell you that you're excellent when you're not? Um, you know, what's that that actually doesn't make any sense because it's not it's not uh, gonna be good for the organization to 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 not show. If if you're being incompetent, they need to show. So it's not logical for your supervisor to tell you that you are good when when you feel that you're not because um it's 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 illogical so is it true it wasn't true we've proven that it it, we we have evidence to show that she was excellent the logical bit it wasn't logical it wasn't logical for first of all the school to employ her or for her to actually keep her job if she's being incompetent and the last bit is is it constructive you know i was asking her how is this thought helping you in any way and she said no it's it's actually not helping me in any way but my my colleagues are doing so much better mm. you know they are um they they have all these innovative things as as a teacher and 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 i asked him is it true is it true that they are better than you and of course her answer is yes um it's uh you know this is what she feels and i said no, no, no. Do you have evidence? Do you have like a chart <laughs> that shows that this person is, is more innovative than you? And she didn't have evidence, but because that's how she was feeling, I said, okay, that's fine. This is how you feel. It might be true to you. It might be logical for you that they are doing better, but the seabed, is it constructive? How is this helping you or how is this helping them? It does, or how is this helping your students? It doesn't actually help anyone. So to make that thought constructive, instead of beating yourself up for not being as good as your colleagues, 
you can actually look up to your colleagues and ask them, what is it that they're doing that I can learn from? So you see it as a, an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to grow. That even if you are feeling as if you are lagging behind, maybe those colleagues had more training. Maybe they had 10 or 20 years experience in education and you're only starting out. Instead of beating yourself up for not being as good as them, you look you look up to them as examples of good practice. How can you learn from them? Make it constructive instead of beating yourself up um, for, for your imperfections and your flaws. So the TLC questioning sequence is something that you can use with your with your mentor, um, you know, with your friend, you know, ask them to ask you the questions. Is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? But you can do it yourself. And for most of my clients, you know, we finish my we finish our sessions in four weeks and they they can actually carry on without me because they can use the TLC questioning sequence whenever they have these inner critic messages. They recognize that these inner critic messages exist. I call my book imposter syndrome remedy instead of imposter syndrome cure because it's like a cold you know you it will come back you know there will be occasions in your life when you will feel self doubt um you, you will encounter new challenges new blocks and you will question yourself that you know whether you will be good enough to handle this self doubt will come in but when you have a remedy when you use a bit of TLC, when you, when you recognize that it's perfectly human to experience self-doubt and to have all these inner critic messages, at least you have that strategy, you have that tool, TLC, ask, is it true? Is it logical? Is it uh, constructive? Then you would be able to manage it and, and cope with it more effectively than just crushing it and, and suppressing it in, in, in your mind. So I, I hope that helps, you know, that that's something that uh, that I teach my students. And that's certainly something that that, that, that I talk a lot and, and give examples in, in, in my book as well. It kind of, to me, it kind of sounds a little bit of uh, uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic yes. Programming, with uh, the whole aspect of asking the right questions. And then also the the, the constructive part is a constructive. I, I also look at it as, uh, is it a comparative? Are, is, are you comparing yourself to others? Because when I'm an athlete and the one thing I've learned about being an athlete is that I'm in, instead of being in competition with someone else as in the past, because, or looking to the, like the gold or is my desk is, is the destination. And instead mm. of just looking at it as the, enjoy the process, the journey is where the fun is. And I'm not in competition i'm i'm we're, we're both in this environment where we're, we're we're journeying journeying together where we are embracing this competition together where i'm going to make you stronger and and they're going to make me stronger and i'm going to be better for it yes absolutely and and that's why I, I can actually see um the growth mindset playing playing a part there in my book i talk a lot about that and it, and it draws upon the the, the ideas of Carol Dweck, you know, growth mm -hmm. mindset and fixed mindset. When yeah. people with imposter syndrome and for those who aren't coping really well, they have this fixed mindset that I'm not good at this and uh, and that's it. You know, I, I'm just going to fake it and, and, you know, people might find out eventually that, that I'm just fooling them. Because you have this fixed mindset that you're not, that this is it, that there's no room there's no room or opportunity to grow. Whereas when you have that growth mindset that you are willing to learn, maybe to take some risks, make mistakes, fail sometimes, you give yourself the opportunity to grow, to learn, and to develop. And, and that's perfectly fine. You know, even if you even if you don't do perfectly um the first time you see that as an opportunity to be better next time so it's it's all about learning it's all about growing you don't feel as if you are a fraud as you've said you see it as a journey you are in this process of learning and growing and developing as a person or as a professional as an athlete as a parent or whatever role it is that you are playing it doesn't it doesn't mean that you are a fraud if it's not perfect it's just that you are in this journey you are growing and continuing to develop and having a growth mindset really plays an important role in that. Definitely. I, I remember when 
mindset now i just kind of call it the destiny mindset you've already decided mm. your destiny it's, it's yeah you, you you can't stop it yeah i mean you've already chosen what you want what what you what what your future's going to look like and i think it's really interesting it's it's really the imposter syndrome and everything from from what you're from what you're saying it's it's really a choice of ours on our own I, do we listen to our inner critic or you know or and, and and actually embrace it for what it is and accept that or do we choose to resist our inner critic and not listen to it and try to ignore it and not deal with whatever is happening and i definitely now realize that's that was what was happening to me when i was in high school um i did I did change my role, by the way, just so you know, I, I did I did kind of use a, a, a similar process and I started, um, uh, I basically became a 4.0 GPA student. student. Excellent. And it wasn't hard. It was super easy. I realized college was super easy. It was just all in my head. Um, but uh, but what was interesting to me, what I, what I realized, and that's an interesting thing to me now, it, do we learn this imposter syndrome for our, from our parents, from our family, from people around us? And... Um, you know, because I, I have a child. How do I, how do I catch imposter syndrome early? Mm. You know, like does 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 it represent? Does it, show, does it show up differently? Yeah. Well, there are many uh, m many roots of 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 imposter syndrome. It's something that you can learn. It's also something that can be framed early on um, as a child. All these fixed messages that 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 you that you get um one of my uh former colleagues in psychology she's a developmental psychologist and she studies um the impact of the messages that that we tell children and and how that contributes to having um a fixed mindset and therefore you know having imposter syndrome um so for example if you say things like oh you you're a genius um that's actually quite nice. <laughs> you know, you're, you're giving the kid a compliment, but it's almost as if it's a fixed characteristic. Mm. So when, when the child um, fails at some point, you know, when something mm. doesn't go quite right, she would, she would think, I thought I was a genius. Were people just lying to me? Maybe I'm just a fraud. Um, so it's when you put those labels and, and giving it as a fixed characteristic, you are cultivating if you like you know that 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 fixed mindset that that you're you're a genius oh you're so um you, you or so for some people oh you're so pretty you're so pretty you know that like it's a fixed characteristic the way to remedy that instead of um uh attributing it to fixed uh attributes you you acknowledge the the learning you acknowledge the effort you acknowledge their contribution so for example uh in your case your child for example um he got 10 out of 10 in his uh in 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 his uh in his test most people would say oh you you're so smart you're so smart i i hear this all the time and for me as a child um because i was academically um, you know, I, I was doing really well uh, academically. I I sort of internalized that that I'm that I'm smart and, and and that kind of stuff. But as as life carried on, you know, I was making mistakes because I was learning, I was growing, and I was questioning myself. It's like I thought I was smart, you know, I thought I was this person, and and now I, I'm not really quite sure anymore. But instead of uh, you know, instead of saying you're smart, you say, oh, you know, great job. You, I saw that you 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 um, studied, and and I saw the effort that you've made. That that's great. You know, so you 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 recognize the the effort. You recognize the learning that it is a process. That it's not a fixed thing. That you are smart. It was because you you've contributed to it. You've you've done something with it. And and in life, you know, acknowledge that. That people will make mistakes. In my case, I I encourage my my child to to make mistakes. You know, I encourage him to to fail. You know, he's he's quite um, reluctant to to answer something. You know, when I when I test him and and so on, he he would be reluctant. You know, I don't want to make a mistake. And I said, mm. it's okay yeah. if it's wrong, then it's wrong. Then at least you know that it's wrong. You know what I mean? So encourage your children at an early age. To, to embrace the learning, to embrace the growth to, and development, that it's okay to be wrong sometimes. At least you know it's wrong and then you can make it better next time. So cultivate a growth mindset at an early stage and just be mindful, you know, 
be mindful of the messages that that you tell your your child you know avoid saying these things like you're smart it's nice it's a compliment but you're smart is a fixed characteristic rather than focusing on the effort you know the that the, that they've put in the you know the journey you know that that they, that they that they went through you know it's it's better to to focus on that rather than on fixed characteristics that um that they could internalize in the future even if you think that it's a compliment eventually it it you know in in the long run it's not focus on the process rather than on the on the characteristic if you like the one thing i noticed about when you're going through things you tend to remember the journey rather than remembering what the outcome is mm. yeah yeah absolutely and um yeah ac- acknowledging the journey acknowledging that it's uh it's it's a growth you know you're developing and yeah we we go back to that fixed mindset growth mindset um mentality cultivate that growth mindset and and acknowledge that it's it's a learning process there's always room to to learn and develop and for those who experience imposter syndrome they avoid risks because they don't want to expose themselves as incompetent or as a failure but for those who have a growth mindset they are not afraid to do that um they would embrace that opportunity if they succeed fantastic if they don't they will learn and and that's in in that way they are learning and growing you know developing as a person and you know embracing all of those opportunities to to develop so this this has been absolutely amazing chris i love the question you asked especially with children because i know growing up how i was raised and i was told I was always told I wasn't good enough or you know my brain was mush or you know I would never mount oh. anything which was very always very frustrating and and that's kind of probably what has led me into coaching and developing myself more and more so I can help other people overcome these challenges that I had as well as others are facing too So yeah so so you actually went the other way so there are people who are getting all compliments that are sort of fixed and in your case it was the other you know the other side of the spectrum which is which is not good either but it's it's all it's all in the in that fixed mindset you know that the messages that that you that you receive as a child or the messages that you receive in your environment that that could have an impact on you and and that could feed the the inner critic messages that you have but here's the important thing you have the ability to to monitor your thoughts mm-hmm. and you have the ability to 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 cope with it to to explore it and to manage it and that's why i the, that's why i use the tlc questioning sequence all the time because it gives you the permission to explore these messages it doesn't matter if it's coming from your inner critic or it doesn't matter if it is coming from your boss or you know for some some something externally you know that these messages exist but if you have the coping strategy and if you have this questioning sequence to ask is it true is it logical is it constructive you're not just accepting it passively but you're actually doing something about it and you are you are um questioning it if it's true it's logical is it constructive and um you know you you cope with it and and do something about it yes and and i love and i love that questioning so this show has been absolutely amazing we're so happy to have you on uh so thank you so much we're here at the end of our program you have provided us with such great detail and information about the imposter syndrome would you mind telling everybody how they can get a hold of you what else is going on and anything else you'd like to share before we call an end absolutely well th- thanks first of all thanks for this opportunity to to have a chat with you and and to share what i know about imposter syndrome mm-hmm. i hope that it served your audience well yes. if they want to read about it uh, i do have a book it's called imposter syndrome remedy um it's available on amazon on print kindle and audiobook version so i absolutely love being able to share what imposter syndrome is what are the consequences of it what are the characteristics so you can actually identify if you have um uh, if you're manifesting imposter syndrome and what you need to do about it we did talk about the tlc questioning sequence today mm-hmm. but there are a lot of other strategies that 
um, from the book, um, and especially if you want to um, implement changes, how to train your brain, how to rewire your brain, because most of these things are just conditioned responses. You've learned to respond in this way. But awareness is really important. That's why in my book, I talk a lot about the characteristics, you know, the inner critic messages and so on. Because once you are aware of it, you can then have the opportunity to explore it and, and do something about it. So the book is available on Amazon. It's called Imposter Syndrome Remedy. It's available on print, Kindle, and audiobook versions. And at the moment, I'm also using the strategies um, in psychology to help aspiring authors, particularly entrepreneurs, coaches, visionaries who want to share a message to the world, but they feel as if they're not good enough to write a book. So I have the self-publishing made simple community. So I actually do apply the, the strategies that I know from psychology to overcome that imposter syndrome, to overcome procrastination, <laughs> to overcome the fear of being judged, um, and to actually get the thing done, you know, because there are some people who will start something and then the fear and, and the imposter syndrome creeps in and then they don't release it to the world. So I, I help them to, to actually start um, uh, be consistent, finish it, and then publish and launch it to number one bestseller on Amazon. I mean, for me in the self-publishing made simple community, all of my students who go through my process get to number one bestseller because we aim for the top. We, we, we have that goal and we have a strategy in place to actually get it there because the last thing I want to happen is for you to, to do something amazing, to share your knowledge, to share your expertise and only for it to flop. And then you will say, oh, you know, I am just so incompetent. You know, that's the last thing that I want to happen. I don't want to feed that inner critic. So I make sure that with my students, when, when I boost their confidence, I actually um, give them the results results as well. We go through the process together. We talked about PAME. We go together, go through a launch sequence, get their books to number one, get their messages out and serve the people that they aim to serve. And that will give them even more confidence that they have what it takes to write a book. They have what it takes to serve their audience and get their book to number one when they do launch it on Amazon. So the, the community is called Self-Publishing Made Simple. It's a free Facebook community and people can come in and join me there and ask me anything about psychology, how to write a book and, and how to publish and launch to number one bestseller on Amazon. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. I can't thank you enough for sharing your teachings, your knowledge, and your values with us today. I know everybody here, Fred, Chris, and I are very grateful. I know the our Extraordinary Being community is going to really appreciate this. And we want to thank you again and always welcome you back to us. Your knowledge has been extremely valuable. So thank you again for all the hard work you're doing and also helping those publishers get their books to number one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, it, it gives me such a thrill to be able to to support them uh, in that way. But thanks for the opportunity. It's it's good to meet you, Len, Chris, yes. Fred. Fantastic conversation at the start of the day, and and I, I really uh, appreciate this opportunity. You're, you're, welcome. you're welcome. Thank you for being with uh, with us, and we wish you the best of your day. Thank you.